0: Just think about that next time you, you, you call it, it's, it's going to zero or that it's going to die. Like we're all just sitting back here laughing at you, sir. We are, we're laughing at you. We think you're an idiot because we, we don't think that you understand like how this actually works and like that this, this is a, uh, this is a takeover and, uh, we're sucking all the monetary energy out of the global economy and we're stuffing it into Bitcoin and we're going to recap all the equity. So congratulations. You played yourself. We're here. We're taking over.
1: Greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker and this is the Bitcoin Podcast. The Bitcoin block height is 807-210, and the value of 1 Bitcoin is still 1 Bitcoin. Today's episode is Bitcoin Talk, where I talk with my guest about Bitcoin and many other things as well. Today, that guest is Preston Pish, a man whom I admire a great deal. Preston graduated from West Point, is a captain in the US Army and was a combat helicopter pilot flying Apache attack helicopters on multiple tours of duty. Preston is also one of the founders of The Investor's Podcast Network. He hosts the show Bitcoin Fundamentals, a collection of podcast episodes on the We Study Billionaires flagship podcast of The Investor's Podcast Network, with more than 150 million downloads. You can find Preston on Noster by going to primal.net slash Preston. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will too. If you want to watch the video version of this show, head to youtube.com slash at Walker America. If you're a Bitcoin-only company looking to sponsor another fucking Bitcoin podcast, hit me up on Noster at primal.net slash Walker, on Twitter at Walker America, or by going to bitcoinpodcast.net. Without further ado, let's get into this Bitcoin talk with Preston Pish. Greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker and this is the Bitcoin podcast. Today's episode is Bitcoin talk and I am joined by an all around uh, incredible and impressive human being today, Preston Pish. Preston's resume is quite long uh, and extensive, so just a couple of highlights. He graduated from West Point. He's a captain of the U.S. Army, was a combat helicopter pilot flying Apache attack helicopters on multiple tours of duty, He's also one of the founders of the Investors Podcast Network. He hosts the show Bitcoin Fundamentals. It's a collection of podcast episodes on the We Study Billionaires flagship podcast on that network. They have more than 100 million or 150 million downloads at this point, uh, so that is quite impressive. Preston, thank you so much for taking your scarce time to talk with me today. It's great to have you. Wonderful to be here. A uh, big fan of you and your wife. Uh, yeah, great to be here. I, I'm a bigger fan of my wife than I am of me, but um, I appreciate the sentiment nonetheless. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much. I'd love to start out by just, again, I highlighted a couple of things uh, that you have done in your life, but I'd love to hear from you. Uh, who is Preston Pish, and how the heck did he get here today?
0: Wh- um... What does that journey look like? You know, I just to kind of tell a little bit of my story of like why I went into the military, uh, because that heavily influenced who I who I am and kind of uh, my morals and things like that. Um, when I was a kid, I was uh, 10th grade. I went up and I had a cousin who was a oral surgeon at West Point. He was the head uh, dental oral surgeon at West Point uh fullberg colonel uh which is for people that don't know the ranks that's one rank below general and uh he lived at west point and was just you know uh the head dentist there and um my family was like hey we're gonna go up and and visit jack and so um you know i'm a young kid just uh highly inf- you know influenced by whatever you see Um, have no idea what it is I want to do. I was good at, at that point in my life. I was, I was good at math, really couldn't stand writing and language and all that kind of stuff. And so I went up there. We visited, uh, him and his family. And, uh, you know, I got taken around to see the academy and just really liked the discipline. And I really liked that it was an engineering and math school and was up for a challenge, you know, like that was really kind of uh, where I was at at that point in my life was just like, hey, this looks like a real challenge. It looks really difficult. Uh, It was really difficult to get into. So I wasn't so sure whether, you know, it was even a possibility of whether I could do it. But long story short, uh, it, it had a huge impact on me at this point in my life where I was just starting my 10th grade year. And uh really motivated me to to want to go do that. And if I didn't get in the West Point, I was looking at some of the other service academies like the Air Force Academy and sure. just really kind of liked that uh the rigor. I liked the uh the morals and like everybody's room is unlocked and you can trust all the other people. There was like an honor code associated with it. And it was just it it really kind of uh harmonized with with who I was as a per or like at least what I thought I was as a person mm-hmm. at that point in my life. And um yeah, so like that's a little bit more on on what I was attracted to at that age. And I knew I wanted to do engineering, and this was like one of the top five engineering schools yeah. in the country. And so it was just kind of a, it was a kind of a fit for me, and um, I knew it was going to be hard, but I was a little bit at- attracted to that. I, I yeah. wanted something that was really challenging at that point, and I really wanted to fly. Um, I uh, I think when we were up there, they had like a helicopter display. We were up there for a football game, uh, the weekend of a football game, and they had like all these different displays, and I was just looking at it like, oh my god, this would be amazing. I could go here, and then I could be a pilot afterwards, and like that would just be awesome. And that's what I did. And um, so that that had a big influence on who I who I became and kind of like my moral construct, um, because you you learn like when you go through the Surface academy that um, your ability to tell the truth, your ability to work together as a team and with other people is really kind of the essence of like being successful in the military it's it's really kind of comes down to uh you got to trust your buddy to your left and your right and if you can't act morally responsibly and always with truth at the forefront of of your actions then that you can't work together in harmony as a team if those aren't at the at the root and so uh that's really bred into the culture at service academies is you, you, if if you lie, I mean, it's so serious that if you would lie with something, I'll give you an example. If, uh, if you had a, a, a Coke in your, uh, Pepsi or a Coke on your, on your dresser and it somebody came in and, and drank it and like you could prove somehow that that person drank the Coke and you asked the person afterwards, like, did you drink that Coke or Pepsi? And they said no, like, and they just blatantly lied about it. You could literally be thrown out of the school for that. Well, that's how, that's how serious it is. Zero tolerance. Like literally zero tolerance. And it doesn't even matter how small the act is. There's just no tolerance for it whatsoever, let alone like cheating on a test or anything like that. Right. They, I, I saw, I saw many people that were thrown out of the school for, for honor. And, uh, so it's, it's very serious. It's something that, uh, you know, this, I can't even tell you how many classes, you know, how this is like drilled into your head, um, throughout your four years is that you just, there's no tolerance for liars, cheaters, and people that take advantage of others. And so like that is, um, I didn't have an appreciation for how important and how powerful this was when I was going through the school. It was more like, like you're you were fearful of it (laughs) (laughs) like the consequences were so like huge of like oh my god i went through three years of this and i got thrown up for honors like when when i was going through it i was more fearful of it than understanding why it was so important Hmm. but you know two decades later uh it's it's very obvious to me why this is so vital to uh the school and like what it represents and why it's important to people to, to live a successful life afterwards. And if I was going to try to explain it in a way that is, uh, or it just maybe a different way to to describe it when you lie or when you do things that are unethical. And I would describe unethical as when you're stealing somebody else's energy Mm -hmm. and you're not, You're, you're doing it in a way that's manipulative, that the other person doesn't know you're stealing their energy. When you do that, what you're doing is you're actually introducing volatility into not only their life, but also your life. Mm -hmm. Because I think what you do is you're setting, you're setting this, uh, reciprocal laws of motion into the, the, the universe's ether. And it's going to find a way to come back and manifest itself into your life. And the thing that makes it really hard for people to wrap their head around why a lot of people don't believe that is because I think it manifests itself back into your life at the point that's most optimal for the universe, which (laughs) means it could be five years later, it could be 10 seconds later, or it could be 30 years later. And I think the longer the lag is that, that it does come back to you, I think there's some sort of like interest on it, meaning if it comes back to you 30 years later... It's coming back with a whole lot more magnitude than what you in, inserted into it 30 years previously. And so people would, would hear this and be like, Oh, that's a lot like karma. And, and it is. Yeah. And, um, you know, this isn't something that like I learned at the school. This is something that I've kind of, uh, I guess it's my framework for how I view the world. And, um, I just think that. When, like, if I went to you and I, I told you I was going to help you out with something, but my intention, and this is what, what is taught when you're talking about, uh, honor violations at these schools is they say, what was the intention of the person? Was the intention of the person to go in there and drink the Coke because they didn't want to pay for one. Okay. Cause that's just a pure, uh, parasitic activity. Very small in value, but that's stealing somebody else's energy that's in the form of this Coke that they're, that they're drinking. And, and by the way, I don't think I, I don't drink Coke or Pepsi. I drink water. Uh, but I'm glad the, that you clarified that uh, <laughs> for the help, for the health people out there. Uh, but let's say my intention was I was trying to have fun with you by. By screwing with your head, by drinking a little bit of the Coke because you were trying to figure out who it was, right? And my intention was actually to have fun because we're friends, Mm -hmm. okay? There are two acts, okay, that one might try to argue are the same thing, but I would argue they're very, very different. Yeah. And they're very different because of the intention of the person of, like, why were they doing it? Were they actually trying to claw energy away or were they actually trying to have fun? And, uh, uh, and later on they're going to say, Oh yeah, that was me. I was screwing with you. I was just trying to have fun. And, and by the way, and here's
1: here's a Coke, by the way. Yeah. And here's, here's your
0: Coke back. Right. Like if that was truly the intention, there's the, it's, it's interesting because I think when we, when we pull on this thread of morals and we pull on the thread of reciprocity and, uh, Karma, I think that inside of all of that is this idea of intentions that are wrapped inside of it. So if your intention is to actually steal, like look at all these, look at all these shit coins, okay? Mm-hmm. Look at the people that are that are behind these shit coins. Look at the intentions of the people behind these shit coins. And their intentions, they really think they're clever, and they really think that that they can smooth take millions of dollars of buying power and that the universe isn't gonna find a way to totally destroy them in their future. Right? And and sometimes it plays out fast and sometimes it's gonna play out much longer. And so I look at guys like uh Ben, what's the uh, uh Bitboy? Bitboy. Yeah. Like when I see a guy like this and I can see he's just straight parasitic. My actions on Twitter is I want to I want to block this guy so insanely fast so that there's no way that I can that I can pull him into my gravitational pull of uh, of my circle or my inner circle because he is the definition of of parasitic activity right Now what I find interesting is other parasites People that harmonize with those types of activities are attracted to him. They get, they get pulled in almost like it's a gravitational energy force that's, that's sucking them to a guy like that so that they can enjoy this, uh, this energy suck together. And, and what it is, is it's a life of pain, right? This, this introduction of volatility and, and parasites that get attracted to each other. It's a life of pain, it's a life of a person choosing to experience the pain instead of experience uh growth through other people's hardships or or uh um perf- like great performance. Like you can learn through others or you can learn through pain and it's like, well, this this is the the way you want you want to go. So some of those things are what shaped me very early on. I know that was a really long response, but I liked it. Uh, <laughs> but th- these are the I these are really core ideas to who I am and what I believe in and why I make the decisions in the manner that I make them. It really I would tell you this is at my core of like who I am and how I think about people and how I think about their decision making and whether I decide to associate with them or not. Um I can be very picky
1: with people that i associate with oh, i consider myself even luckier after uh, hearing that to, <laughs> to have the pleasure of associating with you i i want to i want to stick on that uh, that topic for a second because something that i always ask myself is for these people that are these parasitic scammers that we from the outside can very obviously see what they're mm-hmm. doing we can see their intent do you think some of these guys and i say guys because well i They are mostly guys uh, if we're in the the shitcoin space. Do you think that they tend or start to believe their own bullshit at a certain point? Do you think they start to think, you know what? I really am helping people. Uh, like, Like that they start out knowing that what they're doing is an obvious grift. And then at some point, they get so wrapped up in the story that they've told themselves that they may actually start to delusionally believe like, no, no. BenCoin is going to change the world and it's gonna be the future of finance and it's helping people. What's your take on that? So for this type of person, the way that their
0: brain functions is it's all about them first and then they reverse engineer the logic, okay? So they would look at BenCoin and they'd be like, this dude is going to rug pull so many people and he's going to make so much money, right? And therefore, if I can participate in this alongside of him, I'm going to make so much money. And, and then it's like, okay, so like, how can I deduce some type of logic that make, and you see the excitement that I'm showing you? Yep. This excites them. This excites them because you got to remember at their core, it's all about them and it's all about how creative they can be. In order to, to suck energy away without somebody else knowing that they're sucking the energy away. That's for them a productive action because of what they believe at their core, which is it's all about me first. And this is going to feed me like it's never fed me before. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's what they're really thinking. And if they can tell a cute or creative story around that and, and dupe other people in the process they're walking away from that experience of duping somebody with an enormous amount of, of self. Uh, like it really makes them feel good because they were able to suck that energy away without the other counterparty knowing that they were, that they like, they're like, I fooled the living hell out of these idiots. And like, they feel really good about it. And that's scary. But that's, but that's who they are at their core. And that's why they're attracted to a guy like that is because they, he completely resonates with the way they think about themselves and, and about the world, which is the whole world is my oyster to suck energy from and not to, to give anything in return.
1: It's such a, I think that it's so, you've explained it very well, and it's so difficult for people who are not parasitic in that way people who are genuinely trying to build something to create value to give value to others because they know that value comes back when you when you create it and put it out into the world it's so difficult to wrap your mind around that that narcissistic egotistical parasitic mindset mm-hmm. where you just say like how can you like how can you live with yourself how can you sleep at night but yeah. then we also must remember that like literally 1% of the general population are clinical psychopaths and mm-hmm. uh, you know a few percent are sociopaths so it's like maybe three to five uh, out of every 100 people is either a psychopath or a sociopath. So I-, I think that's often giving some of these scammers too much credit. Like some of them are, there are just also, you know, people who are very shitty. Um, they may not be psychopaths. They're just egotistical narcissists. And, you know,
0: they were wired up that way. So yeah. like when we look at how people get wired up, so much of it's just influenced by the first 15 years, 20 years of your yeah. life from their parents. And you know, if you have, if you have parasitic parents, it's going to drive, it's going to polarize you one way or the other. It's going to polarize you to be exactly like them, or the pain is so painful that it actually drives the person in the exact opposite direction. So when you look at a person who's not parasitic, either their parents were, were great parents and really taught the the person how to, how to, how you need to be in harmony with everybody. And it needs to be a win-win and it needs to be a value creation to the other person, or they were so dang parasitic that they, they, they wired you up to be the, the polar opposite of who they are. And, uh, and I think this is why human nature, when we talk about human nature, it, it perpetuates this cycle over and over and over again. Um, and and you could argue that a parent who is too giving that doesn't let their child discover anything, it, it can actually perpetuate a parasitic child sometimes because they're they're total pushovers and they've just received energy their whole lives without ever learning like what's behind the why of like why the parent is so giving. And it can perpetuate the opposite, right? And it's this it's this uh it's this harmony of uh, like a yin yang, right? Like you look at, mm-hmm. at at that. Like when it becomes too overpowering one direction, you actually create the opposite of what or what maybe you're intending to
1: create. Yeah, it's. Uh, I definitely knew uh, some people like that in college that. uh, did not quite understand how they had it so good, but just assumed that it must always be like that. Uh, They did not do so well in college um, with that mentality though, unfortunately. And so Uh,
0: so after (laughs) after they leave their parents who were just giving abundance of energy to them at at no cost whatsoever, what they're really searching for after they leave the parents, and they'll continue to suck off the parents, but like they're looking for a partner, they're looking for other people in their lives That can provide this free source of energy. I mean, this is the definition of a parasite, yeah. right? They're looking for something that can supply this free source of energy. And yeah, it, it's wild. So I, I, the lesson for pa- for people that are getting ready to be parents like yourself is, is there's a balance. And most importantly, there's an education process that has to take place with the child at the root Of like the why am i giving this to you Mm -hmm. and why i'm going to stop giving it to you and why you need to to create value for others um yeah it's 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 difficult for people to wrap their head around like this this
1: recurring loop of of how things can play out in a person's life it's interesting i've I've talked to uh, a few bitcoiners about a similar uh in a similar vein where the idea of, okay, if we, let's imagine a hyper Bitcoinized future where, uh, those of us who have been working hard to accumulate Bitcoin over, you know, the past, you know, few years and also maybe the next 20, 30 years, when we go to give something to our children, uh, how do you make sure that you still instill in those kids? If, if we are truly in this hypothetical situation, which is n- not so hypothetical, hopefully, uh, living in this post hyper Bitcoinized world, uh, Bitcoiners are going to have a massive amount of material wealth uh, and how do you make sure that if you are raising kids, you raise them to still have the tenacity and the grit and the drive to push forward and to realize, listen, yeah, you you have it good, but life cannot be handed to you and you still need to work at this. And I think I, I had the chance to meet uh, meet your kids briefly, and they seem like wonderful human beings. So, if you have any thoughts on that, in the in the post hyper Bitcoinized world, how do Bitcoiners who are stacking now ensure that their kids uh, have the same drive and tenacity that they did? So, this is one of my favorite topics
0: uh, because I think so many people get this really wrong, like really. So going back to the example we were talking about where a parent is just showering their child with energy, right? And how it can actually perpetuate and create this monster that expects energy to just continue to shine down on them. Um, take that, multiply it by a 100,000, and that's what you get when you hand wealth to children without any type of... Uh, thought as to whether they can actually handle such an energy, uh, exposure, right? This would be like taking a plant, like some outdoor plant and like hooking up like, like this massive, uh, energy, like light system to like this tiny little plant and then just showering it with energy for like 48 hours straight. Like you're going to wither it. To an ash. And like, that's what people are doing when they have an abundance of money and they jam it down the throat of the child who has no clue, like, how it was ever achieved, how, how it was ever created. And, um, they're, they're, they're destroying their family line is what they're doing through something like, like it, it, it has the potential. To be the most toxic pill you could jam down the throat of your child. And, um, now there are, there are children that let's say they're 30 years old and they have, uh, enormous drive and understanding of like how to, how to control the flow of all that energy. Cause I just see it as like pent up energy. It's almost like a Marvel movie, right? Like where they can like con- control like these these timelines or the, these energy exchange. And like you, uh, the, what's the one with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy where like th- yeah. like very few people can like actually hold one of these stones. They just explode if they grab one of these stones. It is exactly like that. When you talk about handing wealth over to children, like you're, you're handing this thing that's going to make them explode. So, uh, I, I view it all in that light, and I think it's a case-by-case basis. I think age is super important when you look at, like, whether that... So, like, if a person's setting up a will, I think that will should definitely have clauses in there that extend out the age before they would get this drip of money. Uh If not, just giving it all
1: away. Right. <laughs> like, right.
0: I, I think that that's a... That may be one of the most viable and your kids might hate you, but you know what, at least you're like somewhat protecting them from being showered with like ultraviolet gamma radiation or whatever that's like going to literally destroy them.
1: Right. And, well, and hopefully if you're giving it away, not, uh, being forcibly giving it away via some 50% inheritance tax to the government, but a voluntary, uh, <laughs> g- giveaway in a that pro- actually goes to a productive use, not just yes. funding a bloated state. Uh, no, I, I, think that that's, that's great advice. And, you know, I think that that's something that actually, uh, from my own experience that I've seen immigrant parents do extremely well is, and sometimes, you know, they come off as very harsh. Uh, when compared to a, let's say, quote, typical American parent who maybe uh, is more of the participation uh, award type of parent versus uh, at least, you know, uh, Carla's parents, for example, uh, her dad escaped communism. Uh, he was a defector. Uh, he did not have it easy uh, and worked his ass off for that and never let uh, his, you know, daughters forget that. And they've both turned into very incredible women. Yeah. I've seen that in a lot of cases. Of course, that that can also be taken too far in certain cases. Mm-hmm. You know, too much guilting of you know, well, you didn't walk twenty miles uphill both ways to school with you know mm-hmm. the, the you know. But but there's you know everything in balance, right? As you said, yin and yang. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I think that's key. So uh, speaking of balance, uh, how I just I would love to know a little bit more uh, about. How you managed to balance uh, you came out of the military and uh, and you went and you got your master's right in uh, uh in finance uh, and what did that journey look like for you of balancing coming out of the military and after having really and truly served and then deciding okay i'm going to go back to school i'm going to then start what is like one of the, I think what the most probably successful investor, uh, investing podcast, uh, that's out there. I mean, you guys have built something really incredible. How did that journey start out for you? When did you kind of decide, okay, I want to, I want to do this. I want to, I want to go in this direction. And, and how did you manage to balance all of that with also, uh, you know, having a wonderful wife, uh, raising some amazing kids because. It's something that I think is, uh, balance is difficult, but balance is one of the, if you can find that balance, it's one of the things that gives your life so much fulfillment. So where
0: I think a lot of people go wrong is once they decide, oh, I'm going to do a podcast or I'm going to do whatever, you you name it, business idea, they they don't harness time appropriately. They want it now they want to see results in 2 years they uh or and, and they'll jump ship like oh i'm not doing that anymore i'm i'm going all in right here i got to go all in like just like that phrase right Yep. uh that's what leads to a, a really uh imbalance in a person's life like for me like i started doing the podcast uh, i actually started it off as a forum uh, like an online form and education site, and it was the business actually started off in books, like publishing books and um and it was just this slow little grind that I was doing on the side that uh you know, I dedicated an hour to two hours at night, like late at night, usually like after nine pm I would work an hour to two hours, and I just was like slowly like just chipping away. Like ever so slightly. And it was, um, it was my lack of desire to see results immediately that I would say allowed me to balance it all and allowed me to stay sane and to enjoy my family. And like, it was, it was always this thing like, well, if it, if, if it grows up into this thing, that would be amazing. But if it doesn't, right. that's okay too. And I was just very realistic about it all. And there was really no grand strategy and no like grand plan. And I think that's why it was able to, um, you know, some people, they, they tell themselves stories so often that they convince themselves of these, uh, like, Oh, this is going to, ha- we're going to be at a million dollars in two years. We're going to be at $5 million in revenue a year after that. And they tell themselves a story over and over and over again. And then especially when it's not met, yeah. like it's a meltdown and it's, it's this disaster. And then it's like, well, we still got to figure out a way to do it. And then they start getting uh like overly creative in a very bad way. <laughs> right? And like, we just never had any of that. Like it was always just like, to be honest with you, it, the first three to four Five years was just like we weren't making any money. We were just doing it because we were having fun. We were doing it for the love of the topic. Right. We were doing it for like, oh, well, this is pretty neat. We get to talk to some really neat people. We're not getting paid anything, but like, like, and, and we were so early in the podcasting, like, there wasn't even advertising like back then. Like, if I would go right. to an advertiser, like, hey, you want to add, do ads on our show? Like, what, what's a podcast? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Um, so like we were doing it because we loved it. And, um, and I think that that was really important. If you're doing something because you just want to make a bunch of money, like good luck to you. Like, I don't know (laughs) what to tell you. Like, it's probably not going to work out so well for you because when people are, are actually creating value for others, they're doing it because they're solving a problem that they just cannot deal with anymore. Like personally, they're just, maybe they work at some widget factory and like, they're like, God, I could make this so much easier if I could just invent this tool that does this step like five times faster. And so then they invent the tool and then the tool does great. And they like, they're, they're intimately familiar with a problem that needs to be solved. And then they're very passionate about solving that problem. And it like, if that's not you and you're just like, Oh, I I got this idea to make $5 million and like. That's the reason you're gonna nine times out of ten, maybe ninety-nine times out of a hundred, like you're gonna fail so flat on your face
1: it's not even funny. It's it's like the uh, the kind of uh the the chat GPT business model of okay, uh hey, chat GPT, <laughs> give give me a, a real good idea that's gonna make me five million dollars in revenue. And it. then like it's 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 wanting the result without Putting in the work. It's the expectation of having it handed to you uh, because you are somehow worthy of it, even though you have done nothing to prove that worth. And it, it, again, it's, it's really just like that chat GPT mentality of like, okay, I don't want to figure out the, the process. Just give me what the solution is, and then I'll yeah. just do that and, and it'll just work.
0: Well, I think a lot of people are motivated by just going big. Like that's mm. the, that's a catch thing. 10 exit or let's go big. Like it's, yep. it's like this cliche thing that people are so, it, and it gets back to the whole fiat thing. Like people are so frustrated because when they look around, they literally own nothing. They own yep. nothing. They're, they're renting like the most obscure things these days, like things that like cost a couple hundred bucks and they're renting it. Like it's wild to me. Like how, like how. Truly, everybody's a, a rent seeker. Everybody's a, a debt slave, like through and through. And, um, so I think it's, it's that combined with, well, I just got to go big and like just reverse yeah. the tide here. Like I can't deal with this reality that I own nothing and I'm, I'm a slave to society and all these people that control the, the, the fractional reserve banking system. Um, That they, that they then want to go big. And then it's like, let me type in the chat GPT. It's going to give me an idea. I'm going to execute. I'm going to crush it. Right. And it's just,
1: that's just not how the world works. It's almost this gambler's mentality of you're down so bad uh yeah. not always necessarily through fault of your own but through fault of the system yeah. uh perhaps it's also fault of your own uh but in general that gambler's mentality of i just need that one that one win i'll make it all back and then some and then and then i'm out you know then i'll then i'll quit. but but you're never out um this yeah. in 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 the house of or in the casino of fiat the house always wins uh, and yeah. the deck is very much stacked against you but that's frustrating to people and so yeah. i think that that's where you have that you know, they're searching for something uh, that they can just grab onto, that they can make theirs, that they don't have to do the work for. Uh, because also, the I think perhaps the the way that our culture has started shifting a little bit, and maybe it's partially social media, maybe it's just natural. But there's the glorification of uh, I don't I, I think that glorifying success is a good thing if you're telling the story of how that's of the hard work that went into it. I think. Glorifying just a lifestyle that is supposed to be associated with success leads people to doing absurdly stupid things like renting a Ferrari for an hour to take a photo with it with your rented Rolex that you know you also have for the next hour just to be able to post on social media to show that you have somehow attained this level of success and you're gonna teach somebody else how to do it too, buddy, don't worry. And it's, we need to get back I think to Glorifying hard work and glorifying the idea that sacrifice is okay and a good thing—that uh, success shouldn't just be easy; that it should be hard won—and I think we'll be a lot better off. And and if people, you know, there's nothing so satisfying as a hard day's work um, when you can be done with the day and say, "Wow, I'm I'm really proud of what I accomplished today." Otherwise, it's just hollow. Yeah. I, so I interviewed this billionaire,
0: uh, Jesse Itzler. This guy's hilarious. He, uh, wrote this book, uh, living with a seal. He, he hired this Navy seal to live with him just to like kick his butt and like, uh, like just give, make him hard. Like he's all about yeah. like doing hard things. So, um, I was, I was talking to Jesse and I said, well, people just really need to be passionate about what they're, you know, doing to be successful if they're trying to create a business. Cause what I'm not sure, tr- what I don't want to, uh, send across here is like, it's too hard. Don't even try. I'm not saying right. that. But what I'm saying is if, if it's something that you are, are passionate about, and I'm going to tell you the Jesse story and you, you're passionate about the journey, then that's something that you should, you should really go after. So, so the story with Jesse. So I said to Jesse, I said, well, you got to be really passionate about the thing that you're, that you're building jesse goes f that he says you need to be passionate about the journey hmm. and i i took a step back and i thought like oh that's interesting he's like he's like because a person who's building something from nothing so like his story so he built marquee jet which was oh, like wow. one of these jet share uh businesses that he sold for hundreds of millions of dollars and uh and then his wife is Sarah Blakely, who created Spanx and uh, sold that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the two of them are just total powerhouses. And um, but he said, because if you're not passionate about the journey, what's going to happen is you're going to you're going to be working at 4 a.m. You're going to be like plowing through stuff that you never thought was possible. Like you could never work this hard about s- on something. And if you're not passionate about that journey and building this thing, like you're never gonna make it. Because hmm. like to really truly build something huge, like it is a total grind. It's a lot of long hours, and it's working on something that if you're if you're not passionate about that experience in like growing that, like you're never gonna make it. And and there's people out there that are maybe building the same exact thing that are passionate about that journey, and they're just gonna they're gonna destroy you. Yeah. So like I for me it was it was a real uh, it was a it was an eye opening experience. And then when I looked at like my like my little podcast business right relative to the stuff that the,
1: <laughs> but little uh,
0: yeah it's all relative right. Like I'm looking Amen. at what Jesse what Jesse built, and I'm looking right. at like my business, and I'm saying. I'm saying, you know what, Preston, I, you are very passionate about this. And like, it was this moment for me, like, you know what, like, I love doing this. I love this topic. I love, you know, if I have to wake up real early for an interview, which sometimes happens if it's, uh, you know, if it's a big name person and they're in Europe or wherever, like mm-hmm. there's many times I did interviews at 4am. I literally yeah. wake up at 4am to do an interview and, um, and I never once was like, Oh God, I got to get up and do this. Like it, I was always excited about it. And it was something that I was very passionate about. And so if, if you're somebody who's trying to build something and you don't think that's you for this particular thing, well, then I would tell you to find
1: something else. <laughs> that's, that, that's great advice. Uh, just so you know, I was very excited to get up this morning and talk to you. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> likewise, likewise. For what it's worth well uh let's let's switch gears a little bit just speak about something uh we're both I think pretty passionate about, uh which is noster uh It's something that's very easy to get passionate about because, like bitcoin it's something that is open to absolutely anyone uh there are no restrictions on your ability to use it and to participate uh, in this network and you i I remember uh you were very early. On Nostr, you and I both were relative, uh, again, relatively speaking, not relative to the devs that were building it, uh, not relative to Fiat Jaff who created this thing, but relative to the uh, mass influx of people. And that mass is also still relative. But what drew you to Nostr in the first place? I think you were on in December. Uh, Like we got on around the same time. Uh, It was a few people messing around. And it was this thing that was really exciting and cool. It was also around the time where there was some turbulence in uh, in the platform formerly known as Twitter or X now. And I'd love to know a little bit more because this is something that uh, it's a network that has the potential to really uh, pull in so many aspects of our social media lives, but also to go so far beyond that. We're using it right now in the context of social media. That has its own huge number of benefits, but there are potentially infinite possibilities for what can be built on top of this open source communication protocol. So I'd love to know a little bit. And we, we took some questions off Noster as well, which we can get to a bit later, but what drew you to Noster? What are you excited about there now? And where do you see that fitting into just both your personal future, but perhaps your your business's future as well as you you know see how this network grows and develops? So decentralized
0: social media has been something that's been on my radar for quite a few years. I would say back to 2017 is whenever people first started talking about it. And they were talking about it more from the lens of like, If one of these social media companies created their own crypto token, that's, uh, you know, we, we could get into the the conversation of like how decentralized that would be. Um, but the idea was if they created a a crypto token that they could force advertisers to use that token. Like if I'm an advertiser and I want to advertise on Facebook or I want to advertise on Twitter, I would have to convert my fiat into their token in order to. Have these units that then I could buy ads with. And what that would do is it would generate a, a, a real market cap for the utility of such a thing because they have billions of people on their platforms. And so this was this was on my radar because of that back six years ago. I I was very concerned at that time, like if I was doing a risk assessment on Bitcoin, I was very concerned that a Facebook or a Twitter or like one of these. One of these platforms with billions of users could, could, uh, create a token like this and scale it so that the market cap would be com- potentially competitive with Bitcoin. And it would, it would be a risk to Bitcoin's adoption was my concern back then. I don't have this concern at all these right. days, but like back in 2017, I had that concern. Then you saw, when was
1: it? Uh, was it 2020 that Facebook announced that they were going to do Libra? Maybe, maybe even earlier than that, actually. Yeah. But, maybe yeah.
0: 2019, maybe 2019 yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I think it was 2019 they announced this. Uh, and David Marcus was the guy like doing this. Yeah. And so, uh, this was very concerning, like that they were going to do this. And I remember Jack was talking about decentralized social media where there's no company needed and that could run off of, tokens and things like that uh without a company basically uh, managing all the back end of this stuff since probably maybe even before 2017. and so like all of this has always been on my radar of of uh what's happening and jack has been on record for many years saying that to do it is very difficult technically I didn't understand the nuances of, like, why that was really difficult technically to do. But I knew that that was Jack's opinion. And I I followed Jack very closely as to, like, what he's saying about various things. So when I saw Jack start talking about this, I think at the end of uh 2022 Noster, um, and that he had made a donation to Fiat Jaff and... uh These others and saying, Hey, this actually has a real potential to actually be decentralized social media. I immediately dug in and was like, All right. So like, how does it work? Uh, how is it actually decentralized? How is it not mastodon? Like that, that you have these gatekeepers controlling content moderation and things like that. And once I, and I immediately tried to start running my own relay so that I could technically sort of understand what was yeah. going on, I did, I didn't have the best success, but I had it up and running there for a little bit with lots of help. Um, and I'm running my own turnkey relay now with Umbral. And, uh, but anyway, so when i saw that jack was behind this and i saw that it, it actually looks like this is going to work i mean i just went all in i was just like okay yeah. this is huge this is going to change the the way all social media works it's just a matter of timeline of like when the adoption curve really starts to hit we're nowhere near that by the way um but um i think that uh this is really important and it's very exciting very exciting for me to know that bitcoin <laughs> is at the root of the currency system inside of this this network this communication protocol mm-hmm. and uh you know if if i could go back and tell the 2017 2018 press thing that this is how this has shaken out god i would be enamored right i'd be so excited that this is the way things have progressed because I pro- if you would have asked me back then, I don't think that that's what I would have thought would have happened. I, I actually thought that, uh, a lot of these large social media, I, I would have guessed that like the Facebooks of the world would have gone in there, spent a lot of money on lobbying, convinced, you know, that, that they would be allowed to do this with huge cut or huge donations to political candidates. Cause I mean, you remember, Naturally. You a wash in cash. Yeah, in, yep. yeah. And so the way that it played out is really exciting and one one other thing about jack when when i would watch him be called to congress along with all the other social media empire controllers and basically called to the carpet to answer i could just see the look on his face was dear god like decentralized social media can't come fast enough And it's going to it's going to remove all of this insanity that these idiots think that they can control speech. And it's going to it's going to slap them so hard across the face that they're not going to know what happened. And that's exactly what Nostra is like. It is it's brewing. It's free speech. You can't turn it off. And it is beyond exciting. I'm I'm just as excited about Nostra as I am about Bitcoin because it ensures free speech which is at, at par with free and open money.
1: Absolutely, And I think that what you touched on there is so important, which is having Bitcoin as, it, it doesn't have to be Bitcoin. It could be something else that is used as, you know, for zaps, but it is Bitcoin because a lot of the people that are building on Noster are Bitcoin Bitcoiners and maybe Bitcoin devs. And so they started that from, from the very beginning. And I think that because of that, you have this, what could have gone a very different direction had mm. other people, uh, let's say, had the, had, the, uh, had the crypto world seen Noster earlier and thought, ooh, I can, I can make, some, make a quick buck off of that. Maybe things would have gone differently. But thankfully, uh, it seems that uh, most of them have ignored noster for now by the way I do still say uh, noster uh, not Noster and I'm just I, I'll die on that hill that's just a quick aside but it goes back to what you were saying earlier which is about uh, kind of having integrity at the core of something mm-hmm. having truth at the core of something because the fact that Bitcoin is the uh, I mean it Bitcoin is the the native currency of the internet right and it's right now it is the the uh, the money that is used on Noster that enables you do not only have that completely free and open expression, but to assign value to the manifestation of that expression through a free and open monetary protocol, which again has truth at its core. So you have these these two things working in parallel that are so powerful separately, but then together, I don't think we can even entirely conceive of where this is potentially going next because again right now it's it's just social media right we've got a lot of twitter clones and uh you know substack type clones and things like that which is great because you've got to start somewhere and you start with what you know and what's familiar and what people are looking for an alternative to in the current system where does it go next and what kind of potential does that have? And I know uh, Pablo, Pablo F7Z is building all sorts of just wild things at all times, um, you know, from just different writing tools and bookmarking tools. And then you start to, uh, Gigi wrote a great piece, uh, Purple Text, Orange Highlights. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. It's, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's fantastic. Uh, but going over like, what does that value enabled uh, web really look like? And Nostr, because of its simplicity and beauty, and Bitcoin, because of its openness and simplicity, it's taking us in a direction that makes me really hopeful about the world at a time where it's very easy to get sucked into the the Twitter slash X uh, paradigm of just being rage baited by the algorithm at all times. Yeah it gives you a feeling of having more actual control. You know, Bitcoin is giving you control of your money. Noster is giving you control over your experience with the social internet. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And you see the positivity that is just exploding out of Noster, although it may still be small, you know, maybe what a little over 500,000 active users at any given time. That's, that's tiny. That is tiny. But, it has, I think, and will have an outsized impact as it continues to just grow upward. We're, we're. It's still early, as we'd say. Two two points that I uh, that
0: I want to say because the I I said that I think it's just as important as Bitcoin. I think Bitcoiners might kind of roll their eyes, like, "Come on, man! Like, it can't be as important as money itself." Yeah. But but here's why: if I was going to send you an energy packet, like, let's just say I had a, a ball of energy and I'm going to send it <clears> to you, okay? how can I send that to you if there's not a way for us to communicate the address? Hmm. Right? Like I have to have a, a line of communication to you to coordinate the address of where it needs to be received. You don't necessarily have to know where it's coming from, but you do have to know the address where the energy packet's Mm -hmm. is going to be delivered. And if you have, uh, if you can't, Control, if somebody can control those lines, right? Then it can always be corrupted. The, the, the address can be corrupted. So you can have the most pure money on the planet. Okay. The, the best form of money that's ever been invented, which is Bitcoin. But how can I ensure that it actually arrives at the address that, that it needs to be delivered without unsensible speech, a communication and coordination layer? Noster is that. Noster is this this coordination layer, so that you can always ensure that the address is is properly received. And uh I can't say that about any other. uh You know, everyone's like, "Oh, well, you got signal, you got all." No, like those. There are companies. Yep. That manage these applications. Sure, it's an encrypted line. Is is far as you know, can you audit their code? I sure as heck can't. Um but uh I I think Noster is providing something here that uh like the how profound this is is being lost on a lot of people and um and like Bitcoin it's only a matter of time until the network effect takes over and this is going to be massive, huge. The other thing that I, that I wanted to just clarify wh- when I was talking about, uh, my concern back in like the 2017 timeframe of a Facebook or a Twitter or whoever standing out. I wasn't concerned about Twitter because of Jack, <laughs> but, um, any of these large social media platforms creating their own coin. Even back then, I, I was of the opinion that there's no way it's going to win in the long run because they will always be corruptible. When, when those units are being controlled by any entity, it it can always be corruptible by politicians or whoever. But what I was concerned with was the timeline being extended out to the right because of how many people would be duped into using such a thing. Uh, you know, it could extend the timeline to, to Bitcoin adoption by an extra decade because of some, you know, large behemoth inserting a coin that, you know, it's a profitable company, so they don't need the, to debase the coins, but they're still corruptible by politicians. So just to want to like say that, so people understand that that's not a risk even moving forward or any other altcoin to ever be concerned with because they can always be corrupted.
1: And I think that that is a really important point is that anytime you have a a point of centralization, anytime there is a throat to choke, you know, a a, a head to chop off, that will always inherently be vulnerable it, it it may exist and do well for a while but it is always going to trend towards more centralization and it is always as you said corruptible and there's just there's just no way around that except for you know taking that centralization and breaking it all out and decentralizing it and and otherwise it just the the end result is always the same and 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 we see this and just speaking of corruptibility we know that in our in our current system, uh, things are in our current monetary system. Things are just uh, they are incredibly corrupt. Our political structure is corrupt. Our our money is broken, and that has broken so many other things in our system. We see geriatric politicians. Uh, the, I mean, I'm sure you. I think you shared it actually. The recent McConnell video, where you see somebody who is one of our elected representatives, who has a tremendous amount of power, who. I mean, who should? Probably, he should, he should yeah. probably be hospitalized and, and under. I mean, I'm sure he's under 24 hour watch because he's a very powerful guy. You know, he's been watched by his handlers, uh, by Vinny or whoever it was in that video who had to come and kind of jog him awake a little bit. But I think that it's it's frustrated. People are there's a frustration building in people, and and you and you sense this. And a lot of people, while they may have complied during, uh, even those people who were very com- uh, complying during the COVID lockdowns and things like that. That built up frustration and resentment, and now you see, as we come out the other side of this, and they start talking about going back to these sorts of things, and you see these geriatric politicians who are very obviously uh, should not be in that position anymore, and, yeah. and it's 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 clear to everybody, and there's frustration building, but so much of that frustration is directed at. Uh, whichever, you know, if you're a red person on the red team, you direct it at the blue team because they're in charge. And if you're in the blue team, you direct it at the red team. So many people still, and it will probably take a long time, miss the fact that it's so much deeper than that. And it's the Mm -hmm. fact that because our money is broken, it has broken the incentive structures within the systems that govern us. Yeah. And so I'm curious to get your take on where you see, for instance, in this next election cycle, we have, uh, three now, because I believe Francisco Suarez uh, did not make the cut, so he 's out. Uh, but we have three pro Bitcoin politicians that are vocally talking about Bitcoin, wanting to protect it, uh, some with greater degrees of knowledge than others that 's very evident but this is a, a a big shift in the Overton window about what is the acceptable public discourse during an election year, and do you i 'm curious if you see over this next uh, you know year and a half, do you see the conversation starting uh, the the mainstream conversation starting to get at more of the root causes of issues because Bitcoin, which is a, a truth machine, has been brought into the equation, and now when you start talking about Bitcoin, you have to necessarily talk about what's broken in the current system. Does that the conversation that we Bitcoiners have all the time? Uh, Does that conversation about broken money start to feed into the mainstream more? And do we start to see that, that people really start to realize, you know what? It's not just Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola. This is a false dichotomy created to distract me from the fact that the people pulling the strings are the ones that have the control over the money.
0: Yeah. I think that what's driving that more that Bitcoin is just the inflation rate and the difficulty for most households to... Uh, pay for what they, they felt like was not that it was easy, but it was much easier for them to just live their day to day life and sustain their, their level of, uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for? Standard it's, of living. Their standard uh, of living. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly. It. Um, they're 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 not able to sustain that anymore. Especially if they move, like if their house wasn't paid for and they got to move, like sure they got the bump, but like they can't afford the, the same type of house now, right? Yep. And so they're seeing their their standard of living step down, and I think that that's driving more. Like, what's causing this? Like. Do they actually have things under control? Maybe they're just handing out money to, like, all these college students. They don't even have to pay their, their bills anymore. And, like, like I think that's where the general population is at with all of this. And I think Bitcoin, for that for that day-to-day person, they hear Bitcoin and they're like, honestly, this is how I think most people see this. Like, oh, isn't that that thing where, like, all those crypto bros where people are wearing, like, the goofy glasses and the weirdly shaved uh, beards, like... That's, that's all those people, right? I think that's where the general population is right now actually. Now, I agree. That doesn't matter. Yeah, because the the true, the true uh, Bitcoin moment is going to be all of the bond tranches converting uh, that buying power into Bitcoin and it doesn't even have to be a large amount, like even 1% of like all that buying power pent up in, in fixed income coming into Bitcoin is going to actually cause the price to, to take off. And then people are going to be like, okay, so you're telling me people are paying a couple hundred thousand dollars for an imaginary coin. Like, what am I missing? Like, how is that possible? And then that's going to drive the general population to like, uh, really start to dig in and maybe understand why they're not there right now. They are not there. And, uh, and you know what? They don't have any buying power anyway. Like if you right. line up a hundred people, they don't have any money anyway. Like they're dead up to their eyeballs. So it's not like they're going to drive Bitcoin. <laughs> it's not that they're just not. Um The, the thing that's going to drive Bitcoin is is the movement of all this pen up stored energy, which is in fixed income, moving into Bitcoin. That's what's going to cause it.
1: And and do you I I, I I'm hesitant to ask about. uh potential timelines for something like this, because obviously it's, it's, you know, extremely difficult to, uh, to estimate, but based on what you are seeing, uh, in, in Marcus now, you obviously have uh, exposure to through, you know, your podcast, but also, uh, you know, you have your own fund as well. Uh, you have exposure to the, uh, the broad macro landscape. Mm -hmm. What do you kind of, uh, let's say, what should the, the average person uh the average bitcoiner let's say or bitcoin curious person what should they be looking for what should they be thinking about what what are some things to pay attention to for them for somebody who's perhaps not uh, doesn't necessarily have the time to go really deep into things uh but wants to be a little bit more aware of what's going on in that broader macro world what should they be looking for what are what are kind of what are the writings on the wall that they should be uh scouting for so, um, how do I explain this for, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and you, and you don't have to s- simplify too much, but just maybe it's a better question to ask, what are you looking for?
0: Uh, okay. So for me, I'm just looking at cycles. So you go through, you know, there, there's these big long-term cycles, then you mm-hmm. have the shorter term cycles. Um, we are we are currently going through a short-term cycle and where i think we're at in that short-term cycle is i think you're starting to see um the the credit market is screaming that a recession's coming uh you can see this in the credit market because the the interest rate that you get on short money short duration money like three month uh note is giving you a higher return than a 30-year bond which for a person who they might think I miss said that,
1: but I didn't miss say it. like
0: three right. month money will give you a higher yield, uh, than, than
1: somebody who's locking up money for 30 years. And that's so, the that inversion that you're looking for that's basically saying, okay, yeah. something so, so something that, funky's going on. So, here I just pulled a chunk for you. Oh,
0: awesome. Uh, screen, okay. All right, so uh, wait till this loads. So when we're, when we're talking about that inversion where like this really short duration money is giving you a higher yield than really long duration money, this, this historically is a moment when that peaks out, when that becomes that inversion is deeply negative, when it starts to reverse itself is, is when you can, you're basically saying that's the top in equities. And when it starts peaking out again in, in the future, which we're not there. Uh, that's when you're going to see the bottom in stocks. Okay. So uh, look at this chart. Uh, can you see my mouse? Oh, yeah. I think you guys yeah, can, I, see I, I can see my mouse. Yeah, I can see it. So going back here, this is 2006. Okay. And so for people that are familiar with like the S&P 500, the S&P 500 is here on this bottom chart. Okay. And then this is your yield curve inversion. So here's zero. Okay. Zero percent. And this is this is a bunch of different uh, comparisons. So like it's the 10-year minus the two-year. It's the 30-year minus the three-month. It's the 10-year minus the five-year. And I put these on here because what they're doing is they're showing, if we would go back in time to 2006, the beginning of 2007, you were at the deepest part of this inversion, okay? And when you look at where the stock market was at during this deep inversion on this bottom chart, you can see it was peaking out. The stock yep. market was hitting its high. Then what you have is, is once you, you start getting impairment in this fractional reserve system. And so what that means is the units in the global economy, like people are accustomed to seeing a dollar in their pocket and that being money, right? But most of that money is actually IOUs and debt. Okay. And people are trading around that debt. Like let's say I had a thousand dollars worth of debt and I give it to you that, that somebody owes me. Right. Like somebody owes me a thousand bucks. I can give you that certificate or that piece of paper, uh, walker. And now somebody owes you a thousand dollars. Okay. And so those, those IOUs trade like money or they, they, they spend like money. Like let's say I, I wanted to buy something from you that's, that was a thousand dollars, like some laptop or something. And I give you this, this note that says that. Billy Bob owes you a thousand dollars now and you gladly accept it because you know Billy Bob is good for it. He's also going to pay you some coupons between now and the, and the maturity of that note. And then you give me the laptop. But the problem is now you're dependent on Billy Bob actually having that money. And this is probably one of the best names I've ever come up with for, uh, you know, an example. I I love Um, it. So all of a sudden Billy Bob don't have the money, right? And, and, and all of a sudden you actually were using that thousand dollar coupon that Billy Bob owed you to go out and say, I'm good for this other thing. I'm going to create another IOU with Carla for $500, right? Because I have this thousand dollars that I'm going to, con- that I'm going to collect from Billy Bob. So Carla, I'm good for it, right? This would be your pitch to her to give you something for 500 bucks, right? And so what you can see is there's this, there's this system of IOUs that naturally stand up through a fractional reserve system. Now, when Billy Bob doesn't have the thousand bucks, he comes to you and he says, hey, we need to renegotiate these terms. He doesn't typically default on the full thousand. He'll come to you and say, hey, brother, I don't have it. I, I, I just don't have it. Uh, uh, let's do 500 bucks, right? And you're like, Okay, I I can deal with 500 because I owe Carla 500. So so what you're doing is you're going to Carla and be like, I don't have this guy owed me some money, uh, I can give you 250, and you're trying to get her to sell, right? Even though you're getting the 500, you're trying to get her to sell for the smaller. Yeah. And so this is called impairment, okay? And when when the uh when you have these made up IOUs and they start to contract, what happens is is this proliferates itself throughout the entire global economy of the units being destroyed and disappearing. So what happens when when that's taking place? There's less units, so the prices of everything else that you're measuring them in, which are these units, has to go down. Okay, If you read books or you go to like business school or whatever, they'll be like, oh yeah, so every so you know every eight years you get this contagion situation where everybody just becomes greedy, like out of nowhere. Everybody becomes Who knows where greedy. it comes from? It's, it's fear. Magic. Yeah. It's fear. Like fear will drive people to sell things for lower prices. And everybody just becomes fearful when the prices go down. Like this is truly what they teach. It's it's comical. Right? It's not fear. It is inherent in a fractional reserve system that as the IOUs blow up, they spill over into the next person and then everybody renegotiates and everything gets priced lower. So I would tell you right now, and this chart that I'm showing you right now is a chart I look at a lot. Um, When I look at how deeply negative this yield curve is going right now, I would tell you that it, it looks like it's finding a bottom. Um, you can see it in the 10 year minus the five year where it kind of made a new high and it's starting to try to like wanna reverse itself. It doesn't mean it can't go lower. And I'm definitely not saying this is a bottom, but I'm saying it's looking like we're hitting a bottom. Like it's it's looking like it's starting to form, right? And once it starts to unravel itself, it actually picks up pace. It, it gets harder to control this without there being an enormous amount of debasement of the of the baseline money that the IOUs are constructed on top of okay they have to step in so um now what's what's really fascinating about this is if we take this little measuring tool and we kind of line it up right here and we look at how long did it take for this to bottom itself out okay you can see that from from where we were kind of hitting a, a, a bottom here in the credit inversion this was like 652 days uh, on a real quick drawing here. Let's yeah. just call it two years, right? Sure. Where you hit a bottom in equities, two years from this point of of being in the bottom of this. So let's just say we are hitting the bottom right now on this yield curve inversion. I, I don't know, but it's looking like we kind of are. We're in 25, 2025 before you'd be in the depths of a equity uh bottom. And, this is very important, that's dependent that the central planners take a similar speed at which they handle this situation as they did in the 2007 to 2009 timeframe, which may or may not be the case. Right. right? So. They they may be looking at it right now, and they may be trying to do all sorts of, you know, backstop facilities and this and that that weren't done in the 2008-2009 crisis that could extend things out longer than what we've seen historically. And this, that's what makes all this really hard when you're saying from, like, a forecasting standpoint. Meanwhile, you have Bitcoin, okay? So, like, all of that's the macro jabs mm-hmm. like, that people love to talk about, but then, like, what's the so what for me who's just holding Bitcoin? Right. The So what is if they continue to allow the the uh, the impairment of credit units, you're going to see Bitcoin continue to kind of struggle. And and, uh, you know, because without an influx of buyers, without a, an influx of people converting fixed income into Bitcoin, it's going to continue to just kind of like shrug along. Right. I think it's going to be fine. I think it's going to continue to go up in the coming year. And the having will definitely have an impact, too, because now your inflation rate is in half. Right. So, like, all of these things have an impact. And I think that as long as you have Hodler's last resort, the Trace Mayor term, which I think is very mm. underestimated, um psychopaths like you and me that will hold <laughs> if the price goes to $10,000, we are just like, well, that's what it does. Yep. I'm just going to keep buying more. Like, not too many assets on the planet that that that's your user base or those are your owners think and act like that okay but in bitcoin that's truly the, the people who hold the lion's share of coins that's how they think because for a lot of them their basis is five dollars right mm-hmm. so if your basis and this is something that if somebody from wall street's listening to this this is what i want you to take home if your basis is five bucks or your basis is 30 cents Do you think that person cares whether it goes from 26,000 to 10,000? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what? Those are the people that hold a lion's share of the Bitcoin in the world. Okay. Just think about that. Next time you, you, you call it, it's, it's going to zero or that it's going to die. Like we're all just sitting back here laughing at you, sir. We are, we're laughing at you. We think you're an idiot. (laughs) Because <laughs> we, we don't think that you understand like how this actually works and like that this, this is a, uh, this is a takeover and, uh, we're sucking all the monetary energy out of the global economy and we're stuffing it into Bitcoin and we're going to recap all the equity. So congratulations. You played yourself. We're here. We're taking over and we're doing it with a smile and we're trying to be kind. We're trying to educate people. Uh, a little bit of my Southern accent was coming out there.
1: Uh, okay. I loved it. I love this. So, I, I wish, I wish I had a $5 cost basis. Um, I, that, that would be lovely, but I will also psychopathically hold, uh, well, no matter what, because it's, it's my savings technology. That's, mm-hmm. that's how I look at it. I, I also enjoy spending it. Um, Nostra is a great way for me to spend it, but it is how I save. And honestly, before Bitcoin, I was not always the most, uh, uh, disciplined saver, but through Bitcoin, I have found this way where it's like, nope, that's that is where I just put my money, and I know that it's not money that I need tomorrow. It's money that I am saving for um, myself, for Carla, for our future children, one of yeah. whom is on the way, and and it's it's so uh, it became so much easier to save mm-hmm. when I changed that perspective to I, I'm not looking at this for oh yeah, do I follow the price of Bitcoin? Of course I do because I'm curious how many uh sats I'm going to get for my US dollar for my lovely, you know, Fiat. How much how many sats am I going to get for that? But I'm not looking at it to say I'm not I'm not a trader. You know, I'm just somebody who is trying to work hard to save my money mm-hmm. in the hardest form of money that exists and to look mm-hmm. at it with a long-term horizon. And when you approach it from that perspective, I think it gives you a great deal of peace, honestly. Because you, you, you don't sweat the small stuff. And for anybody listening, uh, I, I am not a Bitcoin OG. I think I bought my uh, first few sats in December 2019. Uh, and then, but didn't really uh, think that much of it. And then went down the rabbit hole deeply in 2020 when I started seeing the government just handing out stimulus checks at the same time as they were locking people, you know, locking people down. And I said, okay, something is really messed up. And that I think for a lot of people that was when uh, you know, this uh, this class of bitcoiners of which I am one kind of came in and said oh wow okay this is this is something I really need to pay attention to I need to learn what is actually going on with our money and I think a lot of people uh, to uh, to switch gears slightly but stay in a bit of the uh, the fiat lens here a lot of people and I saw this on Noster and some of the questions. A lot of people have trouble understanding the lag that happens with fiat monetary policy because it's not like they make a change and the effects are immediately felt. Their response to uh, the uh, COVID uh, emergency was to create ungodly amounts of money extremely quickly, to rapidly expand the base money. Those effects weren't necessarily felt right away. People didn't, you know prices uh didn't start reflecting that massive debasement for some time after that. And now, you know, we've actually had a, a contraction in that M2 money. The Fed has been tightening. They've been raising interest rates at a historically fast pace, which a lot of people thought that maybe that wasn't ever going to be possible for the Fed again. Maybe they were <laughs> going to be stuck at QE infinity. Rates are near zero forever. So do you have any perspective on a kind of Again, there's always going to be a lag with monetary policy. We're going to feel the real effects of the Fed's decisions in the future. Uh, what do you think is is really, what do you think is the Fed's uh, next move? Not in terms of do they raise rates or keep them steady at the next meeting, but more so at a larger scale, do you think they end up in just adjusting the inflation target too. So it's no longer a target of two percent, but as no we doubt. recently s- saw, Paul Krugman, you know, uh, promoting maybe three per- another arbitrary number, three percent is a good idea. Maybe, maybe, I didn't maybe have that's. Fax
0: machine, I didn't have my fax machine oh, set up, so I didn't see that. So you, but, you missed it. You missed uh, it. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me pause on answering the Fed question and just sure. say one other thing that I think complements this. So. Um, when people, when we start talking about macro, we talk about all these things that are influencing Bitcoin. There's also Bitcoin itself, which is, is in its own kind of cycle. And like, I would argue right now, there's so much seller suffocation that's taken place that you're just compressing Bitcoin like a spring. Yeah. And like, maybe there's this thing with Binance and maybe Wall Street's going to pop Binance like a zip and it's going to compress it even more for a very short period of time. And then like, I think the spring is going to release itself. There's this idea in physics where you talk about constructive interference and destructive interference. And what this is, is when you have two waves, right? Let's say they're of equal amplitude and you put them, uh, well, I mean, your Bose headsets do this noise canceling Mm -hmm. technology is a destructive interference wave that's, that's canceling out a consistent sound. You could take that same thing and you could, you could shift it 180 degrees. And all of a sudden, like, you're getting these blowouts in magnitude. And so when I think of Bitcoin and I think of macro and I think of them side by side, I think of these waves where sometimes you have destructive interference and sometimes you have constructive interference. And what that's doing is, is you're sometimes seeing these really outsized performance. Sometimes it feels like it's going nowhere. And what it is, is it's, it's two waves, different frequencies, different magnitudes, that are causing people to, to want to assign, well, this is what happened and this is why it happened, right? When in fact, you, you're not having an appreciation for how complex and how difficult it is to forecast something like that when you're yep. dealing with, and I'm just talking about two waves. There's other factors beyond that, that, that kind of really weigh into all this. So I would, I would preface all of this conversation with that simple understanding and then to answer your question about the Fed, I think that, um, the, the real challenge that they have, if like, if I'm sitting in the Fed chair, I'm just kind of assessing like how I would do this job. Um, A, it all comes down to just trying to keep as much, uh, social unrest at bay as possible. Like that's where my head's at. Uh, I'm looking at it from a coordination standpoint, big time. Like way more than I think, uh, any type of elected official would realize is that these central banks over in Europe, here in the US, Japan, like they are, they are totally coordinating with each other, deeply coordinating with each other. You can't go to any type of real meeting without them all being together. And, uh, the challenge that they have is Europe is a train wreck and Europe is a train wreck because they're dependent on outsourced energy. Right, and that's what this is all of the whole Ukraine Russia thing. It's all about that. It's all about Europe having no control over their energy input, which means they have no control over the price of anything. And if they can't control the price of anything, they can't control this IOU network that is priced off of the the inflation rate. So, like, like a bond, right? Like. If you tell me the inflation rate's 2%, I'm going to tell you, well, the bond should probably be like yielding like 4%, depending on the duration. Like there needs to be some type of uh, advantage for somebody to own that, that thing if inflation's 2%. Well, over in the UK, the inflation rate's like 12% or like 11.5%. So that tells me that, that their fixed income market should be at least like 13% or 14%. It's nowhere near that. Right. So going back to the question, if I'm Jay Powell and I'm trying to like make decisions and I have this friend that I have to, that, that I have to harmonize with because it all falls apart if they, like, if they're not in harmony with each other in their decision making. And it's like, this dude is getting murdered over there right now with respect to their, the runaway inflation, which is completely outside of their control. Because it's the energy input, right? And like, they're having to make decisions around that. So like, although we're supposedly at two and a half percent, depending on how they like define the magnitude of this bucket that they're, that they're managing for CPI. If it was truly two percent, I think that they would be, uh, you know, letting up and not continuing to, to press the, 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 the break on, uh, or by raising rates higher. I think the issue for them is actually Europe and that they have to try to get inflation global or let me let me rephrase that G7 uh inflation under control collectively as a group that's what they have to do and so I think a lot of their decision making is based around that and I think that they're going to continue to raise rates until they actually start to see like uh demand just leave the market completely like you still have a ton of people a ton of demand is starting to roll over but they're going to
1: keep the they're going to keep pressing harder on the break until it truly truly rolls over to include Europe i, I think it's it's such an interesting thing to me that when i think the more you study bitcoin and you realize it's simplicity and the, the fact that about every 4 years uh which is uh, it's actually measured in the blocks you know 210,000 blocks the new issuance of bitcoin per block is cut in half it's an Exponentially decreasing new supply. And you think about that and you're like, wow, that's, that's really simple and easy to understand. And I know exactly what's going to happen at this date and this date and this date in the future. Wow. I can plan for my life. That's wonderful. That's right. And then, and then you take a look back at the system that we're in and you realize that. You know, these, these cycles that, as you were, you know, joking earlier, we, we, people just get fearful and something happens in the, mar- you know, the animal spirits of the market take over and something happens. It's just so absurd because you have, when you, if you listen to the, the Fed folks or any central bankers talk, they actively talk about wanting to, okay, you know, we want to suppress demand or we want to stimulate demand mm-hmm. or, you know, like we need to inject liquidity in the market. We need to remove liquidity from the market. It's this incredible hubris that that they somehow think that they can play God in a world of eight plus billion people, that they can play God and be able to somehow perfectly engineer uh, this this system to work just fine, and we just have to push here and pull here, and it'll all work great. And sure, it creates an endless cycle of booms and busts. And throughout those booms and busts, us and all of our friends, we're fine. But yeah, sure, maybe the average person is getting hurt and losing their job, and it's really rough for them. And you know, you risk social unrest across the world. But hey, for the most part, it's you know, it's mostly peaceful, and people are mostly okay. But thank goodness they don't realize that we're just jerking them along by a chain, you know, giving them a treat occasionally. And then, you know, it's a, it's a little carrot and then a stick just forever and ever, like some sort of monetary purgatory. And then you contrast that with Bitcoin and you say, God, I'm so grateful that I have this thing that is so simple yeah. that I don't have to worry about what a bunch of old people in a closed door session are going to decide this month about the entire world's money. Like, I, I, can just, I can just go on my node and I, I yep, still, still producing blocks about every in, 10 minutes. In their mind, I think a lot of them look
0: back at, uh, you had this inflation episode in the, in the 70s, right? And yep. Interest rates in, in 81 blew, a, the 10-year treasury I think was around 16%. And so they look at that and you look at their age and you look at for up until the 2008 crisis, I would argue, in G7 countries, and that's very important to emphasize, the uh, social unrest was way down. You saw prosperous, you saw harmony amongst uh, social and, and economic uh, classes for the most part up until 2008. And so, from their from their mindset, we did an expert job pulling these strings. You know, the world was just humming along. And and you know what? If you're not in the G seven and you're one of these other countries, well, who cares about them anyway? Is kind of their mindset. And and that's how they that's the lens of like we're pretty phenomenal people here, right? (laughs) Like, what? Why couldn't we fix this? Right. Is kind of their mindset. And uh, and I think uh. Since 2008, it's just been pure hubris driving, uh, them thinking they can actually solve this. And it's, and it's a little bit of, uh, you know, I didn't even feel like I had found a solution until 2015 with Bitcoin. So I, I think for them, they're looking at me and say, well, like, how in the world could we ever even, even solve this thing without us continuing to pull these levers and, and, and save, continue to save the world? I mean, literally the Ben Bernanke, uh, cover was the guy who basically saved the world, uh, a cover. So, like, these people believe this. They believe that they are the only hope to keep social order at bay in the world, and they definitely don't think that some, you know, uh, guy who created this protocol and then left after a couple years of creating it is, is the thing that This the salvation here. Like, <laughs> it's like... What do you mean you're going to take your hands completely off the machine? I have to touch the machine 100 times a day just to keep everything sane, right?
1: Yeah, it's such a great point. And, uh, that, it actually brings me to an, another question that was asked on Noster, which is generally, do you think that as we move forward into the next, uh, not just few years, but let's say a few decades, let's you know zoom it out a little bit, do you think that Bitcoin becomes a complement to the U.S. dollar. Um, I'm also curious, at a in a more uh, today's uh, today standpoint, what do you think about RFK Jr.'s proposal to quote back the U.S. dollar with gold, silver, platinum, and Bitcoin? To, to mm-hmm. quote him, mm-hmm. do you see it Bitcoin as a complement to the to the status of the dollar and the value of the dollar? Do you think it is possible to back it? To again, I use back in quotes. Uh, the dollar with Bitcoin and precious metals again, or is is the fiat dollar too far gone? And where do you think that's going? Okay, it's a big points. question. Yeah, three
0: points to this. Okay, <laughs> a I am very impressed
1: that RFK
0: is is saying this, because what it what it's actually demonstrating is that he has a profound understanding of the problem and a potential way to solve the problem. OK, um, like very deep understanding. Now, whether it's him or somebody else that's like, you know, messages to him, I have no idea. But I can tell you on the face of it, it to me, it demonstrates profound understanding of the issues that are happening and a, and a path forward. The second point that I have is this is, for me, a very academic solution. And I say that because a lot of the times academic solutions, like, you can you can write it all out. You can put it on a piece of paper, and it's the right solution. You're going to get the 100% on your test. But in real life, Billy Bob's going to throttle you, and, like, you're just not going to win because Billy Bob is using the sound logic of, like, street smarts, and he knows – he can look at it and be like, that ain't going to work.
1: So (laughs) – I love that Billy Bob is now, the, he's like a recurring character for us. It's fantastic. He is. Ricky Bob. Uh, Even better. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he
0: races on the weekends. Um, Naturally. Anyway, so uh, I, I think it's an academic solution. Now, why I say that is I think in, in practicality, as soon as, let's say, let's say he becomes president. Let's say he really goes after this policy. Let's say he can convince Congress to go along with this policy because just because he can appoint the, the person who leads the treasury doesn't mean that he actually has total control to run this. So let's say he gets Congress to implement something like this. Uh, cause there's a whole lot of, you know, loose ends there that have to be tied up for this to even happen. Let's just say all that does happen. And they roll out the first bond tranche, which has this backing, this 1% backing. I think it sends such a profound message to the world that the dollar's effed that, hey. uh, it, it causes this blowout. And I think it, it, uh, it becomes unattainable because of the fact that you're doing it. Interesting. And, um, so. So yeah, those are my thoughts around it, but I I would, I would say this. Bravo. Like I'm very impressed. You have, you have demonstrated a deep intellectual knowledge and understanding of like what the problem is, how to potentially solve it. And, uh, you know, hopefully they fill their bags with Bitcoin before they actually do this bond thing. right? Right. Like, like if I was advising him, I'd be like, yes, I love this. Uh, keep telling everybody that that this is what we're going to do, and we yeah. are going to do this, right? But we're going to do this after we print like ungodly amounts of dollars, yeah. and exchange <laughs> and, and go direct to miners, right? Like you're not stepping onto exchanges, no. You're going direct to every miner on the planet. You're soaking up as much Bitcoin that you can stack onto the treasury as possible. Right. And then like when the price is, is when there's no Bitcoin left and the price is blowing out and like whatever, then you then you go and do that. And, you, and, then, uh, and then it really comes down to how do you change all of the inherent spending uh, of the country, which I think is going to be an enormous, like maybe not even possible challenge to orchestrate without there being intense pain for the general population
1: well i mean that's the thing is that when it comes down to it we are uh we are deeply indebted as as a country in terms of the debt that our government has accrued on on our behalf lucky us, but also from a person you i know credit card debts over a over a trillion dollars at a, just a personal level so you've got all these layers of debt right, and you've got interest on the debt payments which are just i mean going up up and away um we also see on the other side of the world, the BRICS basket of countries who are now moving towards, uh, you know, we're in a, we're in a multipolar world now, and there are the BRICS, which represents billions of people. Yes. I, I'm curious of your thoughts on, I've seen a lot of, we don't have to go too deep in this, but I've seen a lot of conflicting opinions some people saying this is the you know they're so sure this is the death of the do, uh, the death of the dollar excuse me not the death of the dollar the death of the dollar other people who are so sure that this is a nothing burger some that are claiming well it's actually going to skyrocket the price of gold because these these the brics currency is going to be backed by a basket of all their currencies and then also by gold which assumes that they'll open up their uh you know let let each other audit each other's gold reserves which i find highly unlikely uh you know but that's a different story. But I'd love your take on where you see BRICS fitting into the uh, the the future of world reserve currency status. Do you think this is a legitimate threat to the dollar? Do you think this is something that is going to end up being hyped up a lot as a threat to the dollar, but ultimately not change the paradigm too much? Or is it somewhere in between? So I would refer to BRICS as all those countries that are net producers. Hmm.
0: Okay, and I would refer to G7 as all those countries that are net consumers. Okay, so let's start there. Because if you're a company and you're a net producer, Apple, Google, companies that retain profits, okay? If you're an individual and you have more debt next year than you had this year, you're a net consumer. If you're a person who has more savings next year than you have this year, you're a net producer, same thing goes for companies. There's a ton of companies out there that don't make money. They just go to another VC round or they debase their shares by issuing more shares and that's how they offset their net consumption or their parasitic activities. Because if a company isn't making money year over year, that company's a parasite and it needs to die. And uh, needs to be replaced by a company that actually is profitable. Because that's how, that's how society can progress and move forward. So why am I saying all this when we're talking about BRICS? Because what I'm trying to do is, is create a first principles idea around what BRICS is versus what the G7 is, which is the two parties that are at conflict here. When you're the net producer, you can start calling the shots a whole lot more than the net consumer. The net consumer has a duration or a lifespan at which they may be able to continue to try to get themselves out of that mess. If you're a company, you'll, you'll sell a bunch of stock, you'll debase all the existing shareholders, you'll raise a hundred million dollars, and then hopefully you can go invest that in some type of revenue stream that gets you into profitability. When you're a country and you're a net producer, Right. It's kind of the same principles as if you're at a company level or an individual level. Okay, so these BRICS nations are saying we're tired of receiving made up monopoly money from all these G7 countries for real work and real molecules that we are sending to their domains. Right. We're done. We're going to shut off the pipeline. We're going to. You know, not allow you to, to, to come over here and claw away another breadbasket country. That's where they're at. Okay. And so, and I'm not trying to say one's good or bad. What I'm trying to define for people is the incentives that are at bay on a very large macro setup. Right. So what, if you're a BRICS nation, what do you want to receive for payment? for these goods that you're producing in excess of what your population is consuming well i know what i want to receive and it's just a matter of time until they kind of figure that unit out in the meantime a lot of them a lot of these leaders inside of brics they're very scared of that of bitcoin they're they're very scared of that system because it holds them to absolute uh Uh, accountability is the word. Okay. So if, if, if one of them says, oh, we're only, we're accepting Bitcoin and Bitcoin only, like, I'm sorry that that country is what they're really saying. And this is El Salvador, right? What that country is really saying is we are not going to rug pull our population and we're not going to rug pull our counterparties of other countries that we exchange with. By controlling this made-up paper unit, even though we're net producers, basically we're not going to do stock issuance. Even though we're, it'd be like Apple going out and saying, and and, you know, and it'd be like Apple, net producer, don't need the cash. Just uh, we don't have any like revenue streams that we need the cash for that that we're going after. That That would be a reason for a company to do that is like they see a huge opportunity in the market that they want to capture and they don't have the cash on hand. So they debase the shares to try to capture that. And they think that they can make it up. That would be that would be a pure intention for going back to intentions Mm -hmm. for a company to debase their shares to create more value. But an impure intention is let's rug pull all the existing shareholders, let's take that and like let's do it for whatever, you know. So when when we look at a country like BRICS, like just take Russia or Brazil or any of them, right? The reason they they love rug pool technology so much by debasing currency is because they can tax citizens without it impacting their ability to be reelected or the, the way that they're viewed optically from their citizens. And so they love that. They love using the, the rug pull technology as much as possible. So getting them to sign up to Bitcoin this early on, right as in the moment where they're starting to get the upper hand to really start taking down, and I think it is a major threat to the dollar, like the timeline's the part that everybody will argue over. Like people that say, they're like, well, that's not happening in the next three years. You're an idiot. Like, correct, it is not happening in the next three years, but maybe over the next 10 or 20, Uh, watch out. Um, And so I think we're at this pivotal moment where that's shifting, that's changing. And a lot of them are, are going to be hesitant to sign up to technology that prevents them from rug pulling their their constituents. And so that brings us to the point where like, Okay, so they they don't trust each other, or else they would just use Bitcoin. Uh, they they want to have this they want to have this luxury to still control things, and that's where it's going to take them a little bit of time to come around to Bitcoin. But they're going to be it's going to be forced upon them
1: enough time. It's really an interesting to think about uh, thing to think about the El Salvador model of like a country that's actually, and I think we see this, and from the times that I've been there, actually talking to people people are genuinely really happy with the changes you know nothing is perfect but you see in my mind in el salvador a country that is actively trying to do right by its populace that is trying to correct some of the wrongs that have been done that is trying to clean house to a certain extent and that may ruffle a lot of feathers yeah but you know what it's easy to have the luxury of judgment sitting here in the in the you know, so called developed world, uh, judging a country that's trying to pick itself back up by its bootstraps after a lot of the so called developed world, uh, was kicking it down for many, many years. So, this is the challenge for El Salvador. Okay.
0: Implementing a Bitcoin strategy for a country is way easier if you're a net producer. Way easier. It, it's possible. When you're a net consumer, it's way more difficult because you're constantly trying to offset. That net consumption through debasement. And um, and, and it's very tricky. So in El Salvador, from at least my understanding, I did a very cursory research on it. My understanding is that it's a net consuming country in at net across like all their goods and services. But by uh, becoming a Bitcoin country, what they've done is they've attracted uh business around this particular sector. Into their country, which may turn them into a net producer, which then will get this flywheel going for them that they can continue to uh to grow and expand and and potentially be a powerhouse, uh you know, 20, 30 years from now because of such a decision. But I will say this, if a country is a net producer, it's a whole lot easier for
1: them to to turn to Bitcoin and start incorporating it. I think that's very well said. And I, I do want to be conscious of your time here, Preston. Do you have a, a couple more minutes still? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Man. I, uh, fantastic. Uh, so just, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and just talk about, uh, shockingly Bitcoin, uh, specifically. And I'd love, uh, to talk a little bit about your thoughts on drive chains, the kind of the, the big, uh, oh. Big hot topic. I know, I know. And and I know you, and I know you just did, uh, an extensive interview, uh, with Adam Back uh, on this very topic. Uh, I know that you've, uh, you are a, uh, I think if I'm correct in, in this characterization, you are in the camp of let's not do something that's going to potentially quote break Bitcoin. Uh, let's, let's focus on Having sound money remain sound money, because if we can do that, then Bitcoin is inevitable. Uh, if we start messing with this thing, uh, that inevitability may have a slightly lower success chance. So I'd love your thoughts on the current debate. I think a lot of nuance is lost in this debate when it's just people, uh, you know, in a few characters going back and forth with each other on Twitter within you know bitcoin is its own uh tribe and within that tribe there are many factions and people people like to debate about stuff and it's good that we do that and it's good that we do yeah. that out in the open as well that's a strength not a weakness yeah but where if you're if you can say where where do you stand on this and how how do you approach this question because i think you know i it comes back to a a first principles understanding of something of how are you going to break this down? It's not just a knee jerk reaction to quote drive chains. It's how do you think about changes to Bitcoin in a broader sense? And how do you make the decision as to whether or not something is going to be, uh, you know, is it going to be approved by your node? I've made a lot of decisions in my day, (laughs) a lot
0: of decisions as a leader, um, as a military leader in, in, uh, Situations where they were literally life and death decisions. Um, and I can tell you when a person is forcing me to make a decision or cramming a decision down my throat. And it's not something that is time imminent. That is a person I immediately don't trust. Okay. Because you have to ask yourself why. Why is this person forcing me to make a, a decision that's not time sensitive right now? And when I, when I look at drive chains and I look at Paul's actions and I'm, I'll call them out right here, right? Paul. Um, all I see is a person who's jamming a decision down everybody's throat and saying, like, we're doing this now with or without you. We're going to see- Doing in a in a sneaky way where only miners are going to run the code and everybody else is going to be forced to do like everything about that guy to me, based on my past experience of making a lot of decisions, is I can't trust this guy. Okay? Now, I want to preface this. I don't have the technical chops to go through the proposal to understand whether it's in introducing vulnerabilities uh, to to Bitcoin through just the, the code alone. I have concerns about it warping incentives in, with respect to the miners. Um, are, are they deep concerns? Not really, but they warrant me to say why now. Why does the decision have to be made right now? Why can't we sit down and like literally hash this out for literally hash this <laughs> yeah, out that was uh, good. for another, uh, you know, 300 blocks or whatever. Um, three, 300,000 blocks.
1: Um, there we go.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, like those are some of like the really like broad, like a meat, like off the top of my head things that I think about and, and that I'm very reserved on. The other really big frustration I personally have with Bitcoin is I think a lot of participants that are in Bitcoin today think like a consumer that makes $100,000 a year. And, uh, like they're, they're coming with a Roger Ver lens because that's how I view Roger is this guy who, who does not understand like really like the people pulling the strings in the global economy. Uh, they're moving billions upon billions in buying power at the snap of a finger. And these are the people that are like, are the puppeteers of, of the world. Okay. And when I think about how clown world has manifested itself. Okay. The reason it has manifested itself is because these puppeteers that are controlling these enormous flows of energy. Um, are incentivized to, to double down on Cloud World because there's no backing. It goes back to our discussion around the bricks where, you know, you have these, these really large string pullers that are saying, Oh, well, let's just crack on these keys and let's add another five trillion units into this system. And then like, let's squirt those suckers over to Russia and like, and then let's literally pull them all back so they have zero. What idiots, right? These are the string pullers of society. Whether you like that or not, you can't take away from the fact that they are the ones pulling the strings. And they are the ones controlling the flow of these, these energy units or, you know, whatever you want to call the existing fiat. Okay. So when I think about what solves that, what actually solves that is Bitcoin store value first and foremost. And if you fail at that, like the whole the whole experiment is toast like you have to peg these people to the wall that are keystroking in a trillion units and the only way i think you can do that is is with bitcoin making sure that layer 1 is absolutely immutable the incentives are totally aligned between miners and users and and all the all the parties that make up that that deeply connected incentive structure that that is perfectly balanced and any threat to that I'm going to, I'm not only going to like aggressively, uh, um, antagonize the person who's trying to, to change that, but I'm, I'm going to force people to take a step back and say, no, 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 the decision does not need to be made today. Stop the madness. Let's sit down. Let's talk about if ever this needs to be done. Because I, I look at, so. I use Bitcoin as a savings technology. I am a net producer. I can save the, the excess of what I what I receive on a month-to-month basis, and I choose to store that in Bitcoin, okay? Like every other net producer on the planet. And if you're not a net producer, the Bitcoin's gonna flow out of your hands. It's just gonna go somewhere else. It, it's, the, it's the nature of Bitcoin to find a net producer. Uh, So, so when I look at drive chains and I see the rush and I see the the use case for me, you know how many times I've had to swap into Monero or go to LBTC, which is which is a solution that already exists that gives you an amenity on Bitcoin, which Adam Back literally built. It already exists. You're using a federation. It's just not a miner. It's exchanges. So, so like, what's the difference? You know how many times I've needed to use that? Zero. Because I actually follow the law and I, and I do things the way that, uh, you know, the, the, I don't want to go to jail. And, um, so like, you know how many times I had to swap into ETH? Zero. You know how many times I had to go do any of this other stuff that these other shit coins offer? Zero. So when these people are saying that this is the only way it'll scale. It, it's the only way it'll scale for, uh, crypto, Ben. What's, what's the guy's name again? Uh, um,
1: Bit, Bitboy.
0: It's, it's the only way it'll scale for Bit Bitboys, yeah. which are parasites, which are people that are rug pulling others. I don't need it. And neither does anybody else who's, who's managing a $5 billion bond tranche and the energy that's soaked into that thing. They yeah. don't need drive chains. Let me tell you for <laughs> a second. They don't need it, okay. So uh, you know, I would I would encourage people to take off take off their uh, their twelve year old like kitty hat and put on the 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 big boy hat and look at how the flow of energy actually happens around the world and design a system that accommodates that so that we can peg the living hell out of uh, clown world and hold these people accountable so they can't keystroke two trillion units into the system.
1: I think that's extremely well said, and the again, this is uh, this is something I, I talked with Jeff about a little bit was the idea that just because you can build something, just because something is a cool idea that you have the ability to develop that will allow you to leave your mark on something, just because you can do that does not mean you should, and and it's great that you can do that, but. That doesn't mean it's a good idea, and forced urgency is always a red flag for me. Yeah, always. I mean, that's that's how you det- that's the easiest way to tell if an email is trying to fish you. Do they tell you you need to do something right now, or you're going to yeah. lose access to your account? Well, then they're trying to scam you.
0: That's right. I uh, to illustrate this point, so uh, I was interviewing this guy, uh, Trent Griffin, I think is the guy's name. This was years ago. Uh, he's an executive at Microsoft and big time uh, value investor guy. Uh, has a pretty neat blog. I think it's called 25 IQ, all about business. So um I was talking to him and I said, so so, Trent, like my biggest gripe with Microsoft, well, not my biggest gripe today, but back then this was my <laughs> biggest gripe. <laughs> uh, I said, why the hell do you guys keep changing the layout of like Word or PowerPoint? And they've gotten way better with this in the last five to seven years. But up, Like if you go back like seven years ago and you were using these, the suite of Microsoft tools, they were constantly changing this ribbon at the top and like reorganizing everything. And I said to him, I said, the only thing you guys have to do is stop changing it. Like, because when you change where things are at in the layout digitally on the screen, it makes me say, why am I paying for this? Let me go find something cheaper and something that's not changing the layout where I have to go look for the edit button or the crop button or whatever. Right. I said, why the hell do you guys do that? Your competitive mode is everybody knows how to do it. They're already educated. They're just going to keep paying the subscription fee. And and he goes, you know, Preston, uh, like, that's a really good point. But, and he goes, but designers are designers and they're just going to design things. And like, it's a little bit out of our control because they just design new layouts. And I was like, that is the dumbest answer that I've ever heard. And it wasn't trends, uh, his right. decision, but it's like, that is idiotic because people aren't actually thinking about the competitive mode of once you got them trained and once they know where to go, like just stop tinkering with it. And enjoy yep. the proceeds because everybody's happy, right? And when I think about Bitcoin engineering, and I think about all these people doing Gwis things, um, I think about kind of like that parallel of like just stop tinkering with it. Like identify the problem, and identify whether you're solving that problem in the most efficient and value-accretive way possible. And if if the answer is I've done that. Then take your dang hands off the the machine and let it perform the solution, right? And and that's where I'm at with a lot of engineers on
1: Bitcoin. No, and and I think in, to to play devil's advocate, it uh, there is of course going to be uh, there's incredible work that Bitcoin core devs do to maintain uh, to maintain Bitcoin to actually make sure that you know that like there are uh, not gonna be any critical bugs that are going to manifest themselves. There is a complete, uh, I think, separation between that, and just to clarify for anyone listening, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is we need to take and build things on top of Bitcoin, and to enhance Bitcoin, and to to redesign. It's not about the core maintainers who are doing incredible work uh, to maintain Bitcoin as it is today it's about the people who are looking to leave their you know to the designers who wanted to design to the developers who want to develop it's, amen. it's you know amen. <laughs> i'm
0: glad you clarified that cuz that's I, I, exactly yeah, how exactly. that's exactly how i feel like the amount of of uh appreciation and just uh humility that i have for all these developers that have built bitcoin to where it's at like i i can't even express it amen i am i'm Deeply indebted to them and what they've done to for humanity here. Um, and I think that sometimes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working around the house and putting in shrubbery and like you get to a point where sometimes you put too much shit into something and it makes it look so much worse because you're overdoing it. And I guess what, what I'm saying is I want to guard against that. Yeah. I want, I want to. Just because you can do this new cool swoopy thing doesn't mean you should. And and, and if you're really hell bent on it, well, then just go out on the layer two and, and work on it and do it. Right.
1: Or go build right. it on Litecoin, you know? Or go, or build <laughs> go, it on. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Have fun over there. But I I understand the tendency of people who are incredible developers to want mm-hmm. to develop things and leave their mark on it. I think that it's, it's also uh, often characterized that uh, somebody like you or myself who are saying look uh, let's let's remember what the the core value proposition of bitcoin is as the most uh the most truthful and strongest sound money network in that has ever been created let's remember what that is perhaps that's often characterized by the people who are hardcore developers as ah well you just think you should you know you should completely osfy bitcoin and never touch it again and that it, you think that nothing needs to be done because you don't understand development and it's like, no, not saying that. Um, uh, y- these people, of course, have a much deeper understanding of how to write code yes. th- than you and I do. I, I, I run a software company. My developers know much more about how to write code than I do because that's not why I'm here. Uh, I, I, you know, We each have different roles that we perform, and we need to be able to have these conversations where we can be honest and say, look, you're approaching it from this perspective thinking something needs to be built i'm approaching it from a different one and saying that i believe that the simplest solution is going to be the strongest and most elegant and we are have we somehow have the good fortune to exist in this moment in space and time where we are around for the advent of this new monetary technology which is just it is it it is and it is and It is a technological upgrade for money and it is an ethical upgrade for the world. And it's incredible that we're here to experience it. And what a shame, what a shame it would be if we screwed that up because we over engineered and tried to solve a problem that didn't exist. And we already, you know, we have something very, very good. Let's be very, very cautious about how we try and change it because if there's a chance that we might screw it up, I don't know if the, if the risks outweigh the benefits. I, I, I know where I stand on that. But yeah, that's, I appreciate your, your perspective on that because I think the forced urgency is a really important thing for people to realize. Big time. If somebody tells you you need to make a decision right now, but there's not actually a time-based imperative for you to make that decision, you should be extremely, extremely skeptical of that because then that yeah. means there's another motive at play. And you don't know like, what that is. Like, for
0: instance, is. maybe he only has so far of a runway from his VC fund that's that's paying for all this.
1: Yeah. Right? Like Just let's, speculate.
0: Let's pull the thread on why it's so pertinent that it happens right now. Maybe he needs to show something to his investors that something was that happened that gave him all the money to be doing this and paying for his marketing campaign, which has clearly happened. Yeah. Like the whole thing stinks like rotten fish. Uh, yeah.
1: but, uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, That's I my, think that,
0: it, those are my thoughts on drive chains. I, I
1: I, <laughs> I, 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 appreciate that. Uh, because it's, it's something that people are very curious about and a lot of people don't necessarily, uh, want to dive into the Twitter debate, but they're curious about what, not what to think about or uh, what they should think, but how they should approach the question for themselves. And I think you laid that out very well. Uh, Another thing I I because I, I uh, again being conscious of uh, your scarce time uh on this wonderful earth that we inhabit uh I I want to uh, kind of move towards wrapping things up a little bit and but before we do that uh I'd just like to know uh, at a to get out of the bitcoin and macro uh topic a little bit you have done a lot in your life uh and you have a lot of life left to live what is something that you have not done yet that you want to do that you plan to do that you are excited to do? Uh what 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 is what is what is Preston looking forward toward that that's not in his life right now? Uh,
0: I I guess I would say just kind of seeing like where my kids go next in their life as they you know become adults and just uh their contributions to society and like all of that like uh i think that's very exciting and very important and i want to be playing an active role in that and being there for them and yeah i mean Going back to the comment that I said earlier with, uh, Jesse Itzler about being passionate about the journey. When I look at Bitcoin and I look at like all these incredible people that I've met through, through the years and just this grind of like battling the consensus and battling this just really corrupted system. Like, let's just say we could snap our fingers and we would be at full Bitcoin adoption and like everybody's doing uh, Bitcoin and like settling all transactions and like, it's just all over. And it's like, well, why would anybody even talk about the water that we're swimming in? Right. We're just, we're just in water. If we're going to the fish analogy, right? Um, so I, I think there's a little bit of, uh, like as we look at the coming five to 15, 20 years ahead, like I'm very passionate about this journey. I'm very passionate about, uh, it taking place in a way that is most beneficial to the largest amount of people possible, yeah. which means like, Hey, if it happens a little slower because it's more beneficial for people to ease into that transition, well, then that's what I want. If it's, if it happens faster because that's more beneficial, well, then that's what I want. But I want to, I want to enjoy the journey and I want to enjoy the journey of all the relationships that I'm able to have with real people that are value creators that are here to help others and not just themselves in a mutually beneficial, harmonious kind of way. And I'm very excited for what that looks like moving forward. I think that I think it's very exciting and it, and it's going to be very fulfilling. Like one of the things. So I've, I've met tons of people that have become very rich through the years. And, um, you know, the the thing that they almost always say is you've got to have something because a lot of them, they make 50, a hundred million dollars and they're, they're very rich. They can do anything that they want. They can go anywhere they want, whenever they want, they can do it. Right. But what they find out really fast is that if you, if you don't have like this bigger purpose, that's driving you to do something. You become very dissatisfied with your life. Like very dissatisfied. Like it, it, it gets, uh, very stale, very gray, right? And, um, I guess for me, I'm just, we have so much to look forward to on this journey. And it's, and if you didn't, like if you're watching a movie, I'll give you another example. If you're watching a movie and like, there's not this, A stair step progression to the end where the, where the person wins big, right? And in the middle of the movie, it it looks like there's no way they're going to win. They're going to (laughs) lose. Like, I kind of think we're maybe in the middle of that story and that journey, that hero's journey of like, if we didn't have these Sam Bankman freeds of the world and the Gary Ginslers and them taking the meetings and all the politicians, like, this journey would not be nearly as, uh, rewarding and beneficial. And so I'm just, I'm thankful for all of it. I'm thankful. F- I'm very thankful for the journey that, that lies ahead. And it's something that is going to be so rewarding for all of us, uh, to participate and have even the smallest impact, uh, on a net basis of all the other contributors to educate the world on what I think is going to, change the landscape
1: for humanity it's just so exciting it's awesome so i'm looking forward to all of that i think that's beautiful you know honestly i i'm uh i'm not in a a rush for hyper bitcoinization i think similar to you because the journey is what's important right like i i'm i'm glad to have been born in a pre-hyper bitcoinized time uh where although uh this uh you know this battle that we see Bitcoin against pitted against fiat may be frustrating at times. And as you said, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ne'er do well characters, but it, you know, the yield is the friends we made along the way. Right. And it's beautiful to see never before have I seen such a high concentration of highly ethical, highly intelligent, and highly hopeful people. Yeah. like. It's not that I haven't met people that are all of those things throughout my life. I've been privileged to have a lot of great people in my life, but never before have I seen those characteristics in such high concentration Yes, and 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 expanding. It's not like it's this small group that stays small. It's constantly bringing in new people and bringing new hope and bringing new ideas. And I think that that's just this beautiful thing. And I, I'm, I'm right with you. I, I feel so fortunate just to exist at this moment in space and time. And it's a, what a time to be alive, you know? Yeah, truly. Well, on that really happy note, I'd like to, uh, <laughs> I, I, this has been fantastic, by the way. I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. Before we close out, I'd love to know uh, just, are you reading anything right now that you'd really uh, recommend uh, to?
0: So I just is, finished. Is, I, is that I, Broken I Money See? The- yeah this is lynn's book i finished that one we we interviewed her so we finished that one nice uh the pdf form obviously but uh i just finished this book and uh chip wars and this was really good and the reason why i would uh as people if they pick it up and they are reading it the reason i like this book is what it's what it's really describing in an indirect way is how uh how complex our supply chains are becoming for fundamental building blocks that the world uh, can't do without anymore, which is microprocessors. And it's just yeah. one example. I would tell somebody, this is just one example of many, uh, pieces and parts and components that, w- that we treat as if they are fundamental building blocks, but they're actually the most intellectually dense, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, organization of material that uh the like you can't even wrap your head around how complex these parts and pieces are so like etching these these chips i mean these are 100 million dollar machines and only one person making these machines and then you think about all the parts and pieces that go into the machines that etch the chips like it is it is becoming so and and To go back again into like maybe a macro kind of theme. Um, when you look at what's brought us to this point, it's the years upon years of creating these, uh, digital units that have incentivized technology explosion and not allowing, uh, there to be a more, like more players in the market. It's forced, it's forced the consolidation into the hands of one producer of the lithography machine that etches these these chips. And so I would I would highly encourage people to read this, to just gain insight into how insanely complex our society has has become through the the tail end of this fiat system and how dependent it is on supply chains to never break down. We need sheer perfection for prices to never go higher. And I think we've I think we've reached ludicrous speed. And I think that we're starting to like come back from ludicrous speed and it's, it just kind of furthers this larger thesis of like, they're not going to be able to control the price inputs. And if they can't control the price inputs, that means they can't control the treasury market, which means they have to find another place to store their value. Uh, so yeah, that would be the book I'd recommend right now for people.
1: Fantastic. And uh, where should people find you? Um, y- uh y- Twitter Noster. Uh, I'll I'll link uh, I'll link uh, I'll link your Noster first in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, but you're uh, at Preston Pish on Twitter. Uh, I'll put a direct link to your Noster as well as your Npub. Uh, anywhere else you'd you'd like people to go? Uh, those are perfect.
0: The, yeah, those are the two spots that you can interact. with. I'm trying not to respond on Twitter anymore and only respond on Noster. I obviously am, am on Twitter and kind of reading right. the feed with with whatnot to just kind of keep myself informed with what's happening in the world. But um if people want to interact with me, ask me questions on on Noster because that's where I'm yeah. going to uh I'm I'm trying to force my responses only on there and kind of ignoring any kind of questions I get on Twitter. Um but yeah, and then we have the podcast, we study billionaires as the feed, it's pretty much on whatever, and then my Bitcoin show comes out on Wednesdays
1: yeah well uh thank you so much and I, I think that that's a great uh it's the mentality i'm trying to have as well with with nosters that's where i'm interacting um I, yes. I guess i i'm i'm consuming more on twitter i'm producing more on noster yes i think is the way i'm I'm kind of looking at it um i'm, and I I'm think that's trying a good to get to, point to do
0: point. It. yeah I, like i'm not going to respond to you if you ask me a question on twitter I'm, i yeah. will respond to you if you ask me a question on nosters yeah what i'm trying to do yeah
1: <laughs> yeah I, gradually then suddenly right uh, yes, slowly sir. but surely Well, well, Preston, thank you so much uh, for sharing your scarce time with me. And thank you to anybody who is watching this. Bitcoin is scarce, but Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Preston, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Walker. Loved it. And that's a wrap on this Bitcoin Talk episode of The Bitcoin Podcast big thank you to Preston for sharing his scarce time with me for this episode. You can find him on Noster at primal.net slash Preston. You can find me on Noster by going to primal.net slash Walker. If you're interested in sponsoring the Bitcoin podcast, head to bitcoinpodcast.net. If you want to follow the Bitcoin podcast on Twitter, go to at titcoinpodcast and at Walker America. You can also find the video version of this podcast and all the others At youtube.com slash at Walker America and at Walker America on Rumble. Bitcoin is scarce. There will only ever be 21 million. But Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Until next time, stay free.